Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. No Mariners tonight, so you get two hours of extra innings here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. Curtis Rogers with you until 9 p.m. Really appreciate you stopping by. Mariners with a tough one last night. Nothing went their way against Boston in the series finale. They head out on the road to take on the Braves to finish off this nine-game road trip. A very tough Braves team that has the best record of any team in the National League right now. The Mariners hoping to salvage this road trip, get on the winning side of things, not just uh, in the standings, but also on the winning side of things with this road trip currently sitting at 3-3 three and three right now. Really appreciate you stopping by. Brandon Gustafson, our top secret special guest, he'll join me at 7.15 tonight. We've also got a lot of great conversation from the day here on Seattle Sports in store for you. We'll take a listen to what Jeff Passan has to say about this Mariners team, Jerry Depoto, Ryan Roland Smith, all the heavy hitters that's coming your way over the course of the next two hours. But as we do each and every time here on Extra Innings, we start off with three up, three down from the week that was. And the thing I am most up on right now is one George Kirby. The stretch and the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss for strike three. George Kirby with strikeout number four, and that's it for Boston in the bottom of the fifth inning. And George Kirby is dazzling here in Boston tonight. George Kirby taking a leap here, I think, in, in year number two. And it's not like he was you know awful or anything in, in his rookie season. In fact, he was probably the best rookie pitcher in the American League a year ago. But right now... He has just been flat out dominant to start this season. A five and two record, a two four five ERA. Uh, that's you know the your grandfather stats, but he's also got one and a half baseball reference WAR, already surpassing the WAR that he had a year ago in 130 innings pitched. He's done that in less than half of the amount of workload here in 2023. Uh, he has just been so good over the last five starts, or, or really even before then. But you look at his walk totals. Hasn't had more than one in a single start this season. In fact, he's only got four total this year. Uh, he sat down, what was it? He had a seven shutout innings against Texas. He went seven innings against Oakland, only giving up three runs. He had the complete game against the Phillies, where he only allowed the one run, didn't get any run support that day. And then he shuts down Boston, six and two-thirds innings pitch, only allowing one run, striking out six. This is a guy that has really, really taken the opportunity that has been given to him and he's running with it this season uh, I had the hot take prior to the season and I think a couple other people did as well that George Kirby by the end of the year was going to establish himself as the ace of this staff I think he is on his way to doing that now Luis Castillo the month of May has not gone his way we'll get into his performance coming up in a little bit later but I think George Kirby right now is the guy who I have the most faith in when he is out on the mound and, and that's not a slight on any other pitcher in, on this staff because, look, the Mariners have the highest fan graphs war of any pitching staff uh, of any team in baseball. So it, it's not like the Mariners have been getting bad outings consistently. I mean, obviously yesterday with Marco going just an inning and two-third allowing the eight runs. 
Um, that is a bad outing. For sure that is a bad outing. But it's not like that has happened every single time through the rotation. Somebody's just having a, a complete off night like that. No, it, it, for the most part, every single starting pitcher has been on their game this season. And that is especially impressive in the absence of Robbie Ray, somebody who was going to be relied heavily upon this season now. Bryce Miller, who knows what he's going to be like following these three starts. There's a little bit more of a book about him. These are major league hitters that can adjust uh, on the fly better than any minor league hitter can. So we'll get into that. But George Kirby, to me right now, is the guy that when he is out on the mound, I feel the most comfortable about. Here's Scott Service talking about Kirby's latest dominant outing. Well, he located. He's on the edges. You know, He's at the top rail when he needs to be. Uh, mixes in enough off-speed pitches to keep him honest, but that's his bread and butter the two and the four-seamer, and he's not going to get away from that. Uh, certainly respect the other team, but if you make your pitches, you know, you'll get him out, and, and he continues to execute pitches time and time again, so I know if you talk to George, he's disappointed. I think he walked a guy tonight, uh, but, um, you know, awesome job. He run right to the end of the rope there, 97, whatever it was, pitches, uh, big outs there uh, in the seventh when the game was, you know, still in doubt at that point and uh, kept grinding away. I imagine the feeling being a manager, knowing that your starting pitcher is out there and he's going to give you at least six innings every time. That's probably a nice luxury to have if you're Scott Service uh, going out there each and every you know fifth day with George Kirby taking the mound. So shout out to George Kirby. That is my first up. The first thing I am down on, though, I mentioned it a little bit ago, and that's Luis Castillo. And I think he is good enough for sure to get out of the funk that he has been in. But if you take a look at his numbers right now, a year ago he had only allowed six home runs in 11 starts. Uh, for the Mariners. He pitched 65 innings for the Mariners after getting traded over from Cincinnati. Uh, Only allowed the six home runs. He has allowed six home runs in his last four starts, including three on Tuesday night of this week, a loss to the Red Sox 9-4. And I wonder if you know, maybe this is just kind of his typical thing early on in the season. I know that was a big worry uh, after he got traded is that he doesn't start off season super strong, but does, you know, turn it on at the end of the season. I mean, look, his ERA is 3-3-1 right now, 58 strikeouts and 51 and a two-thirds innings pitch. Uh, his baseball reference war right now is point seven, and you know, in 11 starts last year, his war with the Mariners was one. So he's kind of tracking to that pace, but he's clearly not at the pace that he was at early on this season. Three of his first four starts to the to the year, he didn't give up a single run. His ERA was point seven three at one point. Now it's three three one. So he's definitely been getting hit more. Uh, obviously, allowing a lot more harder contact with the three home runs given up against the Red Sox. But then he gave up a home run against Texas, Houston, Toronto, the Mariners in his last four starts. 0-4. That's not good. That's not good when Castillo is your stopper, when he is your ace, when he is the guy that you have, have chosen to be the guy to put an end to any sort of losing skid. It's not encouraging right now to see the Mariners having lost each of his last four starts. So hopefully they can get back on the winning side of things going forward and Luis can kind of figure out these issues. The second thing that I am up on is the big dumper himself, Cal Raleigh. Now with two outs, here's Cal. Hit the home run left-handed. He's up there batting right-handed now. See what he can do here. Maybe he can tattoo the, the green monster first pitch. Swung on, that's what he does. High drive, deep left center field. Carry, carry, goodbye! Big Cal 
a two-run homer from the right side after a two-run homer left side. And here in the Mariners, top of the six, it's 5 nothing Seattle. The double dumper. A home run from each side of the plate. Congrats to Cal Raleigh on that incredible performance earlier this week. And, I mean, Cal Raleigh was, is a guy that is obviously known to us here in Seattle, to Mariners fans, to those that cover the team. Like, we know what he's all about. He can hit bombs, uh, plays a, a tremendous catcher behind the plate. But it, how well is he known to the national audience? Well, having a game like that against the Boston Red Sox, a team that always has a ton of eyes on it, regardless of how good they are doing, uh, that is going to garner some attention. Jeff Passan, who was on with Brock and Salk yesterday, uh, was asked where Cal Raleigh kind of fits in amongst the best catchers in baseball. Here's Jeff's answer. Cal Raleigh is a dude. And when I call someone a dude, that's about as high of a compliment as, as I can give to a baseball player. And I think Cal Raleigh, if he's not a top five catcher in baseball right now, is certainly in the conversation for being among the top five. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got JT Real Muto, Will Smith, Sean Murphy, and Adley Rutschman. And I think those are probably like pretty clear cut top four, but I believe Cal Raleigh is right up there with him. And if, if there's another, maybe Salvador Perez, but Cal Raleigh defensively is better than Salvador Perez. And so I think that, you know, I, I think to call Cal Raleigh a top five catcher right now would not in any way be an exaggeration. And he is certainly delivering because you look at his numbers from a year ago, 774 OPS, uh, 284 on base, 211 batting average, 27 home runs. I mean, those are very respectable numbers out of your catcher. Right now, he's got a 792 OPS, a 327 on base, 233 batting average, seven home runs, 22 runs driven in. I mean, this is a guy right now that not only is is replicating what he did in his breakout 2022 season, but also kind of outproducing what he did, at least early on. I mean, you wonder if there is going to be enough space on the American League all-star roster for three catchers. Uh, Adley Rutschman, I feel like, is is the lock of the century to be the American League starting catcher for probably like the next decade or whatever. Like That's no slight to Cal. That's just how good Adley Rutschman is. But it feels to me like Cal Raleigh is going to get his respect because if you recall, there was, I think it was MLB network during the offseason had a top 10 list of the best catchers in baseball. Uh, I think it was maybe voted on by, by fans that MLB network then passed off as the 10 best catchers in baseball. And Cal Raleigh was not on that list. In fact, there were two blue Jays catchers on that list, Danny Jansen and also Alejandro Kirk. And so, like that, they had representatives uh, twice on that list, uh, and Cal Raleigh was nowhere to be found. And obviously, Mariners fans and and people here in Seattle took giant exception to that. And while the great thing about this is that Cal Raleigh has not only picked up where he left off a year ago, but has kind of exceeded his production uh, to start off 2023. So that is a- another thing that I am up on. Here, but what I'm down on is overworked bullpens, and what this means is I don't want to see Matt Brash enter the months of August and September and just you know have his velocity way down, doesn't have enough movement on his pitches. Uh, guys like Justin Topa, Gabe Spire, uh, Trevor God, it feels like we see those guys out there every single game, and and you wonder just how much these guys are going to be asked of. 
uh, later on this season. Now, the absence of Andres Munoz has loomed large on this bullpen. It, the bullpen hasn't faltered uh, you know, to an incredible degree or anything like that, but I do wonder if maybe these guys are being asked to do a little too much too early this season. Hopefully, you know, we've seen Prelander Baroa get converted into a reliever recently with Arkansas. We have seen, you know, guys come up, uh, you know, the Mariners are, are a bullpen factory. Bullpen arms are something that they generate better than just about any organization as of late. Um, so maybe there is help along the way for these guys to just give them a, an extra breather, just to give them a couple days off here or there instead of being asked to work, you know, every other game and whatnot. Um, overworked bullpens is what I am down on right now with the Mariners. The last couple things I'm up and down on, I'm obviously up on Bryce Miller. Uh, Bryce Miller still continuing to dazzle, was phenomenal in Detroit. Really looking forward to what we see out of him tomorrow against Atlanta. A battle of Bryce's. Bryce Miller against Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder, a really good pitcher in his own right for the Atlanta Braves. That's going to be a fun one. And then the final thing that I'm down on, I don't want to pile on, but Colton Wong, uh, something has to be done at second base right now for this Mariners ball club, Uh, whether it means Jose Caballero fills in as the everyday second baseman or maybe Dylan Moore comes back, who is is out on a rehab assignment again. We'll we'll see how that goes. But right now, it it is not working with Colton Wong. Something's got to be done on that front. Coming up next, Brandon Gustafson, top secret special guest, joins me. Coming up next from SeattleSports.com, this is Extra Innings. You are listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You are listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Welcome back into Extra Innings. It's 7.15, and around this time every single week, I bring in a top-secret special guest, and it's none other this week and the one and only Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Kind of like every other week, but this week is different because it's not last week. That's right. Brandon, look, the Mariners, they just do not want to give us a win to talk about (laughs) on extra innings. It feels like every time we have chatted, it's been coming off not only a loss, but a loss where it's just like, ugh. Yeah, t- tough two days in Fenway <laughs> after, you know, George Kirby opened that series. Unbelievable. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you take the series opener and now you're, now you're prime. You have two, t- two opportunities to go out there and take a series in a really tough park that historically you guys have just been terrible in. And then, <laughs> yeah, sure enough, Fenway, <laughs> Fenway reared its ugly head. God, Fenway, it's one of those parks. Fenway and wherever it is the Rangers play, it used to be the ballpark in Arlington. Now it's Globe Life Park. Those are the two. F- stadiums where I feel like no lead is safe. No. And like whenever the Mariners get out to any kind of lead or like how on, what was it, uh, Tuesday of this last week where they battled back, tied it at four, it was like, yeah, I just, I still don't feel comfortable. No. Well, last year, if you remember, a lot of people point to the low point of last year being that that May series against like the Angels, Ford, right? Or, or yeah, the, the yeah. June series against the Angels where yeah. they lost four or five at home and they scored like eight total runs. For me, it was they got swept in four games in Boston, That's and right. I think they had the, the lead in all four of it them. It's the Trevor and, Story series. And it was capped off by Andres Munoz giving up a walk-off grand slam. <laughs> so that, that park has just not been kind to them these last two years, and no. it's a... 
you know, as great as the Mariners pitching has been this year, Boston's lineup has been really good. And they've made a lot of people look really stupid about the Yoshida signing because a lot of people were like, you're giving that guy 90 million and people valued him at 20, good. 30. He's been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and Rafael Devers is obviously one of the best best hitters in baseball. They've got some guys there and they're certainly off to a good start. And they made the Mariners pay in those two games. They did. Uh, but the one guy who was able to best that Red Sox lineup is George Kirby. Let's start there. He's so good. Because, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's so good. I, I said it beginning of the season i feel like you may have said it too a few other people may have said it but like this guy's destined to be maybe the mariners ace by the end of this season he is just so efficient he is just he's he's not there to play any games he's, he's got the, that dog in him he, he really does <laughs> d-a-w-g uh he's not walking anybody like he is just so fun to watch right now yeah and what's so impressive is with George Kirby and with Logan Gilbert in his first two seasons, it was just it was all fastball, right? It was so many fastballs. The the secondaries would flash at times, and then they would kind of disappear. He's had a really good curveball this year. It's been a really really good curveball for him. His slider's been really good, and then the the fastball command has just been excellent. I mean that that sinker two seamer whatever you want to call it that he throws. Remember he like picked that up just one day. Just okay. Oh, that's how you throw it. Cool. <laughs> and then they were talking about how they wanted to maybe implement that in future starts. Then all of a sudden he just starts throwing it in a game that day and is getting strikeouts with it last season. So just his ability to manipulate a baseball and throw it for strikes and not just strikes but quality strikes has been so impressive and and seeing his growth. And then yeah, he's just got an edge to him, man. Like. It's it's his day. He's going to go out there and he's going to shove, and he knows he's going to shove. I mean, that guy could give up a run in eight innings, and he's going to be just ticked off about that single run that scored. If he walks one guy, he's going to be just storming off the mat out because he's got <laughs> such elite command. Uh, it, it's been really fun to see how he's been able to develop, and obviously he and 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 Logan and Bryce Miller, and up until a few starts ago, Luis Castillo, like those guys have really been carrying this Mariners team and keeping them close to five hundred because the for the most part the lineup has just really struggled this year yeah the Mariners pitching staff still leading fan graphs war by a considerable margin uh they have been worth the price of admission outside of the last two games but uh for the most part just no worries at all when when the Mariners have the ball in their hands uh Unfortunately, the offense has been maybe the exact opposite. It's, just, it's been very frustrating to watch, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, earlier today on Seattle Sports, uh, Jerry DePoto made mention that it looks like Jose Caballero is going to get the majority of playing time at second base right now. Uh, and it looks like Colton Wong is headed to the bench. Brandon Caballero has looked good since coming up from, yeah, from AAA really Tacoma. Is this going to unlock the offense, or are we still looking at a team that is is very much a bat away? Well, when you when you look at how the Mariners lineup has worked this year, like the first two weeks, it was that your four big bats it was Julio, it was Cal, it was Gino, it was Ty France. Those guys were carrying everything. And then all of a sudden it flipped, where all these big bats are struggling at the exact same time, and then the bottom of your order, which at the time had J.P. Crawford, right? Then it was like the bottom three was going, and now it's just kind of, it's it's really hit and miss. You move J.P. up, Ty France is off to a really, really good, strong start uh, over, over the month of May. Even Teoscar Hernandez has been hitting better, um, but still Julio, Gino, uh, Cal Raleigh's heated up of late too, but I, I think they're still a bat away like as far as the big bats from really getting this lineup going. Jose Caballero being a guy that you probably hit eighth or ninth in the lineup and, and turning it over, I think would be really helpful considering JP Crawford and Ty France hitting one, two have been two of the Mariners best hitters of late. 
Um, it, Jose has been playing good defense, and that's part of the problem. Where with Colton Wong, you knew it's a light hitting bat. Even at his best, he's he's going to spray the ball. He's he's maybe going to hit some gaps, so he's not going to hit the ball at the ballpark. So he also needs to couple that with playing above average defense, which he didn't do last year, and he's certainly not doing this year. So when you're OPSing 400 or whatever it is, and you're not not a defensive liability per se, but definitely not <laughs> definitely a below average defender for a very good defensive team. You're just not having any value right now. And Jose Caballero is hitting. He's taking his walks. He plays solid defense, kind of like Kirby. He's got just that weird little edge to him that that seems to really upset other teams like the Houston Astros. So you need to ride with the hot bat, especially as you're hoping to get some of these bigger bats going. Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joining us here on Extra Innings, as he always does at 7:15. And and Brandon, earlier this week, I, I read uh, a column from Ryan Divish talking about overusage in the bullpen and just kind of how guys like Matt Brash. Are, are at, they're at a workload right now that they're just not accustomed to. And, and not sustainable. Exactly. Just how are they going to be able to kind of divvy it up in the bullpen right now when they're kind of leaning on them a lot of ways, you know, with starters maybe not going seven, eight, nine innings anymore. Right, and and because that's where it all starts. You, you would love for your starter to go six, seven, eight every time out, but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. And obviously in a park like Fenway, it's a little harder than if you're back home at T-Mobile Park. And, and you're about to face a Braves team that's very, very good. Won the World Series two years ago, yeah. has upgraded the lineup since then. Ronald Acuna Jr. looks like the best player in baseball this year God, so far. He's been, he's been unbelievable. He's already got 18 <laughs> stolen bases. Yeah, ridiculous, right? <laughs> and, and you had Sean Murphy and Matt Olson to – to that core group that won a World Series just two years ago, uh, it, it's it's going to be hard. And honestly, it, it, as I look at the the bullpen, there have been guys that have been good. Uh, I think they need to maybe not rely on Paul Seawall just in leverage situations. You can't just roll Matt Brash and Trevor God out there every single time that you just need somebody to pitch. Those guys can't pitch every two games. That's just not sustainable. The other issue is... As much as we all love what Chris Flexen has done this year, right now, honestly, just looking at the roster and considering how much a lot of these bullpen guys have been used, him being a, a guy on the roster and taking up a spot when he's only used in very certain situations, which is if they're up a lot or down a lot and it's late in the game to eat two innings, that's just not very valuable when he's only pitching maybe once a week, if that, and you have these these seven other guys out there b- pitching all the time. I mean, you have Perlander Barroa, who's in double-A, who just moved to the bullpen, who's been phenomenal in, in that transition, and he'd be a high-leverage arm. Obviously, Andres Munoz being out has put especially Matt Brash in a tough bind where he's pitching more, and he's pitching more leverage spots and hasn't quite worked out for him yet, but... Uh, honestly, Chris Flexen playing that very, very specific role, kind of like he did last year, I think is really rearing its ugly head in some ways just because it's putting so much more pressure on these other guys to eat up innings. Flexen either needs to be able to to be used and pitch in more situations than just these very specific long roles. Maybe he goes out there and throws just a single inning in a fairly close game because otherwise you're going to be seeing Matt Brash and Trevor Gott and Gabe Spire and Justin Tope and all these guys basically pitching every other day and over the course of a one 62 game season, even even as good as those arms are, that's just not going to work out well. You mentioned Prelander Baroa, who Jerry Depoto spoke of today with Brock and Salkin. It sounds like he's on a, a very quick path to the big leagues once they converted him to reliever because he they he was making the comparison between how long it took Edwin Diaz to convert from starter to reliever. He said it was like two weeks, and Baroa, I believe this is his second week. Yeah. So I mean, we could potentially see him when they come home next week. Yeah, which which would again it would it would be a big boost and depending how how you move some guys around because 
At first, it was like, well, does Taylor Saucedo need to be on this roster? He's been pretty good, especially against lefties and and that Astros series. He absolutely owned Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, he he's been he's been really good. When when I look at that pen and just the workload for some of these guys, I think it just comes down to what you really want from Chris Flexen right now. And unfortunately, I think that's just making more of a toll on these other guys. But with Baroa, huge fastball, huge slider. Uh, obviously, in one, maybe two inning stints, the, the command isn't going to be as big of an issue as it would be for him if he's trying to get through a lineup two or three times. So, yeah, we, we could be seeing him sooner. Uh, DePoto also kind of mentioned Brash, who took a little bit more time in the minors last year after he got demoted uh, because he'd actually started the year in the majors as a starter. Um, but Baroa in double A, I think you're going to see him just continue to put up zeros and go out there and play with his plus stuff. And I'm excited to see when he ultimately comes up because he was absolutely dominant in spring training against some really, really good bats, uh, and I think that he would be a big boost for this bullpen right now. That voice you're hearing is Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joining me every single edition of Extra Innings at 7.15. Brandon, what do you guys got going on at SeattleSports.com? Yeah, a lot, lot of Mariner stuff. By the time that uh, you know that this is up, we should have some uh, a new column from Shannon Dreyer, more more stuff from Jerry Depoto. We're going to be leaning on the Kraken offseason over the next few days, too. A lot of exciting stuff coming up on the site, so make sure to check it out, SeattleSports.com. That's the place where you want to go. He is Brandon Gustafson. Follow him on Twitter, at Gustafson. Brandon, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, I, I hear there's another off day coming up pretty soon. There so, is. Uh, These off days, they, they, they don't stop. <laughs> Always appreciate Brandon Gustafson stopping by here on Extra Innings. Coming up next, Cal Raleigh had himself quite a series opener in Boston, hitting a home run from both sides of the plate. He joined Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill on the Mariners pregame show earlier this week to talk about that performance and also what it was like playing in the ballpark he grew up going to. That's coming your way right after the break here on Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Now with two outs, he's Cal. Get the home run left-handed. Just they're batting right-handed now. Maybe he can do here. Maybe he can tattoo the, the green monster first pitch. Swung on, and that's what he does. High drive, deep left center field. Carry, carry, goodbye. Big Cal, a two-run homer from the right side after a two-run homer left side. And here in the Mariners' top of the six, it's 5 nothing Seattle. Hey, make sure you're downloading extra innings on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Coming up in about a half hour from now, Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja, he will join me to start off the 8 o'clock hour. But right now, Mariners insider Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill they caught up with Cal Raleigh following his historic performance against the Red Sox in Game 1 of that three-game series, hitting a home run from each side of the plate. What went into that night? And also, what was it like playing in the ballpark he grew up visiting? Well, Chin and Gary visit with the Big Dumper himself. Cal, uh, just hours later, I mean, it feels like we ask you this question often, that you do something that's totally remarkable. And uh, where does this kind of rank in what you have done and how do you process you did something in a 112-year-old ballpark that has never been done before? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to say about it. Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, definitely for sure. Definitely one of, you know, top baseball moments. Uh, getting to do that here in front of my family and, uh, you know, obviously growing up a big fan and uh, coming to games here as a kid and it's really special and uh, definitely won't forget it. When you were a kid and coming to the park, where'd you sit? I, a little bit everywhere. Uh, we went on first baseline uh, a 
few times. And uh, we went, uh, I guess it'd be third base up in the kind of Navy seats back there. Uh, one time up in right field, and um, we got we got canceled one day. I was I was kind of near the pole, but they got canceled. They're playing the Blue Jays. A little upset, but. <laughs> so I didn't get to see the game there. Did you have an opportunity? I mean, when you were sitting in the stands as, as a young Cal Raleigh, were you thinking someday I could be standing at the plate and this is what I would do? This is how I would approach this. I mean, yeah, as a kid, that's all I always want to do. I'm be, I'm, you know, be a professional baseball player and obviously uh, – couldn't have, couldn't have dreamt it like this, but it's uh, it's awesome how it all worked out. I mean, all kids growing up as Red Sox fans, all you have to think about is hitting a home run over the monster, right? <laughs> yeah, I That's mean, it. Like, and I, you did it. There's like, no way. I can hit the one over that thing. The thing's so big, and I can't. But, uh, yeah, do, getting to do that last night was, I mean, that's kind of like a bucket list thing. You know, you? something that... You know, you don't get a whole lot of chances to do, too. So, Did you hit on the field yesterday? I mean, have you actually ever hit one up there, even in a batting practice? Uh, yeah, I've hit one in batting practice. I had to. I mean, even if I, <laughs> you know, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to have a good approach and stay up the middle or the right field. And, no, I was just yanking everything, trying to get one over. <laughs> I mean, you grew up a Red Sox fan. You grew up a big Jason Veritek fan, and there he is in the dugout as you're doing this, too. Did that add just a little bit? more meaning to to what happened last night yeah i mean it's, it's special i mean to say i didn't look over and and see him and dug out you know uh i'd be lying so you know obviously one of my favorite players growing up and you know being the captain of my favorite team and everything kind of like you know the, the poster boy and the, the leader and everything so it's special and anytime i get to you know play the red Sox or kind of get to see him i, I love to kind of just you know Pick his pick his brain a little bit, try to get some info, even though we're playing him. But uh, it's uh, it's awesome to see him. And you got a jersey from him last year, right? I did, yeah. Uh, Christopher Negron, he was in the uh, Red Sox org for a little bit, and he um, he was nice enough to to ask him over there. So I was I was a little nervous. I didn't want to ask him. <laughs> I didn't want to get rejected, but he he, uh, he he pulled it through for us, and it was uh, it's super cool. I got it hanging up back home, so. What what did you want to ask him the first time you talked to him? I mean, there's so many things. I think the first time I saw him, I just wanted to just say hey and just kind of get like, introduce him, tell him I was such a big fan and just kind of fanboying him. So <laughs> the first time, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to pick his brain one day. I mean, obviously, playing against each other is tough, and you know, can't reveal all the secrets. So <laughs> maybe one day. Okay, most important question. That's how long before the game? When is it decided? Socks up, <laughs> show socks, pants down. Like, how, wh- when when is this decision made going into a game? It's just kind of a game time decision. Okay. Usually, it's not me making the decision. I usually ask somebody else. So it started with me asking the pitcher, and then the pitcher would decide whether I wore my pants up or down, <laughs> or if they wore their pants up, I would wear mine up, or if they wore them down, I wear them down. And then I would go off my cleats too. So like, if the pitcher's wearing white cleats, I got to wear white cleats and. But now it's kind of lingered in, and uh, Ty actually told me to go pants down yesterday, so I'll be probably be going pants down again. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good that's, idea. Yeah. That's a good idea. Good but whatever makes the pitcher the most comfortable, yeah, I love right. that. That's taking it to an extreme. One day, can we put in a request if you're doing high or low socks? Of course. Okay. Yes. Not okay. today, though. Not today. No. no we're, we're not going to mess with, with anything, yeah. but if you're ever yeah. unsure about anything, we're here for that. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to keep you guys in the loop. <laughs> It was a great night for you, obviously, offensively. But you know what this ballpark can be like. Does it, from a catcher's perspective, catching Kirby and the entire staff in a game like that where there's one run on the board through nine, 
Like on that side of things, from that perspective, how happy were you with that part too? Yeah, we were really happy. I mean, this team, they can hit. Yeah. They've, uh, you know, one through nine, they got some really good hitters. They have good approaches, and they're tough outs. You know, they don't they don't strike out a lot. They don't uh, give you easy outs. So Kirby did a great job. Again, I know I feel like it's repetitive, but he's pitching great, and um, it's, it's awesome to see, you know, what he's doing out there, you know, mixing the heaters, locating really well, and just competing, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be back there catching them. Cal, take your catcher hat off for a second, and as a hitter, if you were facing the Mariners right now in a series, let's say it's a four-game series or even a couple times a year, how, what would you think when you, okay, the Mariners are coming into town, here's what they're throwing at us? I, I wouldn't want to face us. I mean, uh, you know, we, like I said, we, we compete in, in the zone. We have some really nasty stuff. We have some unique looks. And, uh, you know, I feel like we got we got different guys that can do different things really well and get different kind of hitters out. And uh, I think that's really important to, in today's game, especially with all the matchups and uh, lefties, righties, uh, you know, ride guys, sink guys. And uh, it's really important. And I think we do a good job of kind of covering all of that. Do you do the Boston accent? Do I do the, the Fenway pack, <laughs> pack over the monster? <laughs> yes. Perfect. <laughs> That's, what, That's all about all I got. What did Grandma have to say to you last night? Oh, she was beside herself. So she was she was super happy for me. She kept saying a little prayer for me. I guess she, she was she was very happy, and uh, she, like I said, obviously a big Red Sox fan. She was a Mariners fan last night, though. So we. Um, it was cool. She had to come down the field, got to take pictures, and um, got to, you know, see all the family and cousins and all that good stuff, and it was pretty fun. It's been pretty amazing to watch, like, Kirby and one starter handed off to the next starter. It's been a ridiculous run overall. What is it like catching this rotation? It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's uh, – it's – uh, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's it's a lot of fun getting to catch these guys. And I think the best thing about these guys is they get short memory and they love to compete. So, you know, they don't let one start, you know, linger into the next. And I think we do a good job as a staff of kind of being on top of that stuff and making sure that, you know, guys are doing what they need to do. And these guys are they're a pleasure to catch. I mean, you know, George, Logan, uh, Castillo. You know, even Bryce Miller now coming in the rotation. He's been super, super awesome. I mean, to do what he's done is, uh, I don't think there's anybody, three people or, yeah, <laughs> I've seen the stats. Or whatever, they're crazy. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, it's, it, it, I'm happy for him and for him to keep going, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Please run down the Bryce Miller arsenal in all 47 oh, sliders he yes. has for us. <laughs> I don't know. He's got like different nicknames for him and everything. He's uh, he's a funny character. Uh, he's got he's got obviously he's got the fastball. He's got the cutter, which is the tighter, uh, more downer. You kind of see the one that goes kind of straight down, tighter, a little harder. Uh, you probably see that in the upper 80s. And then you got the um, the curveball, which might read on the on the board a slider, which is kind of looks more a little slurvy. If to you guys, it'll be a little slower. Like I'm guessing low 80s is what it is mm-hmm. little read slider and then he's got another one he's been working on we haven't thrown it a whole lot but it's more of like a i guess the the sweeper or i don't even know what the, technically it's the slider so that's the one that kind of goes just straight across it doesn't have a whole lot of depth it doesn't go down a lot so it just goes straight sideways um but main, main one is the is the cutter and the curveball so and he's got the change up so <laughs> 
Yeah, quite, quite the arsenal. And what does that fastball look like from your advantage? Uh, it's, it's very lifey. And um, when I say that, it just means it's got a lot, a lot of carry on. It spins really well. And, you know, you think it's going to be – it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up in dirt and it ends up at the bottom zone. Or it looks like it's going to be in the middle and ends up at the top. And it's really deceptive. And, you know, it's, it's one of those where it's so true, so straight that it almost like knuckles. So it's, it's crazy how it, how it comes in there and, and looks. Awesome. Lifey is my new favorite term. Lifey is. Lifey. And Cal, thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Cal. Thank you. <laughs> Make sure you're getting out to the ballpark for the four-game series against the Oakland A's. It's a Mariners value game. Each one of those games, you can enjoy tickets as low as $10 for view level, $20 for main level, and $30 for terrace level tickets. Combine this special with the expanded value menu offering ballpark favorites like Hempler's hot dogs, nachos, and refillable Coke sodas, along with new items like ice cream sandwiches and Uncrustables ranging from just two to four dollars you can find more information on those tickets at mariners.com slash value curtis rogers with you on extra innings when we return we will hear from the president of baseball operations jerry depoto he joins seattle sports every single thursday at 8 30 a.m we'll take a listen to a snippet of that conversation he had with brock and salk earlier today don't go anywhere this is extra innings you're listening to seattle sports and the mariners radio network You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Fifteen minutes from now, Rob Friedman, Pitching Ninja, a.k.a. He will join me on Extra Innings to start off the 8 o'clock hour. We'll also hear conversations from Ryan Roland-Smith, who was on with Bump and Stacey, and Jeff Passan, who was on with Brock and Salk. But each and every week, Jerry Depoto makes his weekly visit here on Seattle Sports. And we're at the quarterway point of the season. We're past 25% of the Major League Baseball season here in 2023. What does Jerry Depoto make of his team's road to this point so far? Well, let's take a listen to his conversation with Brock and Saul. It's going to sound absurd. Way more good than bad. You know, we have perhaps the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball, bullpen, starting pitching. You know, it's uh, not getting wrapped up in the last 48 hours. We, we're still you know, a dominant team on the mound. And I, and I don't think that's uh, – you can't pretend that for 50 games. And uh, that's something that we've taken away. I think we've we've watched a couple of guys really get going here in the month of May. And, you know, quietly in the month of May, we're averaging almost five runs a game as an offense. And it's it, – that – if we do that, we're going to win a lot of games. And – you know, and, and here just recently, just this last stretch that we're on, and I know it seems like that step forward, step back is a very frustrating thing to watch. We keep winning games at the pace we've played the last 16, you know, 16 games. That, that results in about a 95-win season. And as, as irritating as it is to watch the win one, lose one, win two, lose two, you know, as long as you keep some separation like we have over the course of the last, we'll call it 12 series, we're in a pretty good place. So, uh, you know, we do have some individual positions that need to shore up and, and, uh, we're planning on addressing those as best we can. But again, you're limited to what's you know available to you in the market, whether that's players from your own system, your own roster, returnees from injury, or, or what you might be able to access outside the organization. Do you have a sense, uh, you kind of mentioned the consistency there. Do you have a sense what's keeping this team from being more consistent? You know, it's certainly not the starting pitching. I mean, today I think we have four of the top 28 pitchers in the in the major leagues in terms of war value, and which is remarkable when you think of how little time Bryce Miller's actually spent here. His best kind of impact he's had 
you know, I don't think it's the bullpen. They've been terrific and as as good at securing leads and and giving us chances to win as anybody can be. I, I'd like to easily point to runners in scoring position issues, but you know, Gino and Ty France and JP Crawford, they've come through in those situations far more often than not. You know, it's unfortunate that every two or three days the 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 dial, the wheel is just landing on the guy who's not delivering. And that really amplifies the situation and makes for, you know, a, a two up, one down type of existence. How do you, you know, through your experience, Jerry, how do you create or Scott and his staff create some of that offensive consistency as marvelous as the pitching has been? And nobody can argue that. And the numbers are very, very clear when it comes to strikeouts and batting average. And you said some runners in scoring position with different individuals. How does that group offensively collectively become more consistent? I, no question. It's what we do. It's the, it's the pitches we choose to swing at. It's staying in our zone. It's, it's not leaving, you know, the, the white part of the plate and chasing, you know, on the edges and off. And it's understanding your skill sets. Each guy's got a different way that they contribute. Some guys are, their big value is getting on base. Some guys, their big value is, is driving in the runs, you know, and, and there's everything that happens in between. But, you know, when we really start clicking and, and I think we started to see it a little bit on this road trip. When we start clicking, it's usually when our walk rate starts to build and our homers start to fly. And, you know, we are a team that, that scores, a, and this has been the case for our team for a number of years now. We score when we homer. <laughs> and, you know, for the, for the first five weeks of the season, we just weren't homering like we usually do. And I do think that that is a, a weather-related thing. As the weather warms, you know, the, the homers start to fly. You talked about Bryce Miller and what he's done in a short amount of time. And it's really just incredible. And he's going to have a tough test tomorrow, right, as he takes on a Braves lineup that's very good. And I'm curious to see how he does. But can't take anything away from what he's accomplished. It's just unbelievable. What did you make of his ability to adjust in his last start where he kind of went away from the fastball a little bit, started using more of his breaking stuff? Really impressive. And, and, you know, what you saw was, frankly, what he was doing in Arkansas in the early stages of the season and and trying to prepare himself with a full arsenal to go out and do what he just did, which was adjust to a lineup that appeared to be on his fastball in the early going. And, and that's something that, that Bryce hasn't or won't run into very often, I suspect. But when you do run into a team that is on your fastball, you have to have an alternative measure. And, and he showed that he's not a one trick pony. He can go out there. He can pitch. He has, I thought he threw some really good changeups, obviously leaned on his breaking ball quite a bit. And what that does is it frees up your fastball on a day where it might not be quite as special as it typically is, or you just have a a good fastball hitting team. Like sometimes you're going to run into in our league. But I was very impressed. I think you told us this offseason, Bryce's fastball was the best in the entire minor league system. Not just yours, but maybe in all of minor league baseball. Where is that fastball when it comes to the league that he finds himself now in where he's doing historic stuff? Right at the top of the food chain. You know, I, I don't know that there's too many guys you can point to with a better fastball and a higher spin rate than, than Bryce is creating right now. It's, you know, top two or three. Uh, and, and on a given day, it might be as good as any in the, in the business. So uh, the same traits that existed in the minor leagues and, and separated them from, you know, I truly thousands of minor league players. It's in the, in the big leagues where now we're talking about you know, several hundred, it is a, it's still a special fastball that, that separates itself from the pack. 
On the other side of it, you're right. Obviously, the, the, the pitching has been incredible. But, you know, now over five games, uh, Luis Castillo has not quite looked like himself or certainly not quite at that same level of dominance. Um, five games without a quality start. I don't know if that's a, you know, a true measure that you guys use. I know it's not as exact as maybe the shove report. But what do you think is going on with Luis Castillo? Uh, you know, his shove, score, his shove scores have been more middling, you know, for, by his standards. And I, I still, I look at the body of work. It, here we sit in the middle of May. He's got a three and a quarter ERA with 11 strikeouts per nine and 1.9 walks. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's pretty good over a nine start body of work. But, you know, as, as it goes, these last few starts have been generally a slump for Luis. It's the, the thing that, that has bitten him is the homer ball. You know, it's, uh, the rock's not easy to hit. And, you know, I, I think the Red Sox did a phenomenal job of barreling up, forcing him into the middle of the plate, and they didn't miss when they got him there. But, uh, you know, Luis typically doesn't allow the ball to leave the ballpark. And, you know, over these last three starts, that's what's grabbed him. And, you know, he is he's built on getting the ball on the ground, striking him out, and, and getting his ground out. And, and right now, that that homer ball, and when you get a give up multiple run homers, it, it tends to sting your earned run average uh, in a short sample. And I think that's what you're watching. And I don't think that's permanent. It's a it's a middle of the plate slump. And when he gets back to the edges, I think you'll see the same guy we saw for the rest of his time with the Mariners. So you're not worried. Not at all. His his physical stuff is is maybe better than it's ever been. I mean, he's the other night in Boston. It's 97, 98, and you know, the ball's got all the life that you want to see. And it just, it kind of reinforces the idea that you have to pitch in good counts in this league. And, and in this league, middle, middle probably doesn't work very well. And, and he's a guy that will get away with mistakes, but it's like I said, the Red Sox didn't let him off the hook and, and he wasn't finding his way, you know, to the, to the thirds of the edges of the plate where Luis can pitch and have. Uh Jerry, I do want to come back to some of the arms and maybe even an organizational philosophy when it comes to those arms. But circling back lastly, last thing I bother you with the offense, because Salk and I have spent a fair amount of time going back and forth on this and, and looking at the walk rate and looking at the average, looking what, you know, I mean, it's the beauty and the curse of baseball, right? You can tear apart any of these different numbers. Do I kind of hear you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you know what, you can live with the strikeouts as long as the walks and the homers are there? Yeah, I'd prefer not to, but yes, is the answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Provided how many there are of the other two. And, you know, right now we are, we're striking out at an extreme rate. And, and that has been the case really since the the St. Louis series at home. And, you know, we've, we've done a little bit better job, you know, here in the last 10 days of of reeling that in. That can't be such a, a pronounced part of our game is, is that kind of swing and miss. We've historically been a league average team in, in regard to, to whiff, strikeout rates, et cetera. And, and we're upper level to elite in swing decisions, walk rates, getting on base. And, and if you add that to power, it all works. We're not a team that's going to hit 270. You know, we've, we've hit an aggregate roughly 228 over the last three years. And we're not a team that's going to light you up with batting average, but we are a team that can score runs. And, and we just have to get back to the formula that, that allows us to do that. Uh, what have you made of Colton Wong's start, especially defensively? You know, a rough start. And it's not the defense. It's, it's the whole, it's, it's the body of work right now. It's just been a struggle for him. And, you know, what it is, I, I don't know. I, I wish there was an answer that, that I could provide or that we could provide. And, 
you know, obviously you saw last night that, that Cabby got a start against the right-hand pitcher. And, and you may see that more in the short term as we try to just give Colton a chance to reset and, and get his, his season started in the way he's accustomed to playing. You know, he's, he's been a really good player for the better part of a decade in this league. And, and I don't think that is done. I don't think that's over. Uh, clearly, he got off to a rough start and he's having a tough time reeling it in. And maybe just a breather will we'll give him a chance to do just that. But it's it's been, you know, the, the whole of his game has been just off. And, and I think he's he's aware of that. And, and hopefully this is a chance to, to as I said, just reset and, and just start over. The full 20-minute conversation with Jerry DePoto and Brock and Salt can be found on seattlesports.com or by downloading the Seattle Sports app. You can also subscribe to the Jerry DePoto Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Say, coming up next week, the Mariners return home for a big homestand with the A's, the Pirates, and the Yankees. Friday, May 26th against the Pirates, a 7.10 p.m. first pitch. It is sing-along fireworks night presented by T-Mobile. Fans can sing along to their favorite tunes and enjoy post-game fireworks on Friday evening. The show will begin approximately 15 minutes after the final out of the game. And for more information, visit mariners.com slash fireworks. That is also a college night. When With that ticket special, all college students will be able to enjoy $10 view-level tickets. The deadline to purchase the special is going to be Thursday, May 25th at 5 p.m., so a week from today at 5 p.m. For more information, visit mariners.com slash college. When we return, Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja, he joins us to kick off the second hour of Extra Innings, talking Bryce Miller, talking George Kirby, talking this tremendous pitching staff that has gotten off to such a great start here in 2023. That's coming your way next year on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.